0: The following audio content is a talk given at The Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. My name is Chris Thurden. I'm on staff here at The Inn. If you don't know me, people call me Thurt for the most part. It's a short form of my last name you guys are in college, you should probably get that. Um, so if you didn't, now you know. If you don't know, now you know. Turn to your neighbor, say neighbor. No, no, feel it, believe it. Turn to your neighbor, say neighbor. There you go. I never thought I'd hear Tupac at the end. You didn't say it, say it. Yeah. You did, dreams do come true. Tupac, who do you love? It was at the end uh, tonight. Tonight, uh, I'm speaking on love. I'm speaking on the topic. It's called gritty love, is what this sermon is called. And uh, this idea of love, um, this idea of love, is one that uh, consumes us as a society, consumes us as a people. I think uh, probably uh, in our lives, I feel like a lot of people will define their lives by the one by finding their one true love. Uh, or not finding the one true love. I feel like we define our lives by this. Uh, I think the English language has really actually done a a, a disservice when we think about the word of love. Uh, We use the same word for love uh, for loving tacos, loving our car, loving our girlfriends and our mothers. What? That's not... What? Um, (laughs) So we've really... Really, um misuse the word love. And I think actually we've used it so much, we've saturated it to the point that it's got soft. Um, I think far too often we think of the word love, we think of this fluffy clouds like euphoria, really a fairy tale type of love. Shout out DJ, give me that fairy tale type of love. Well, if you think that way, I'm really sorry because tonight we're probably going to burst your bubble. Life, uh, Love is actually a lot more than that. Um. hear the end we believe in the transforming life-changing knock you on your face build you up break you down again self-sacrificing kind of love of Jesus Christ and that love is so much more than soft fluff so much more than unicorns so much more than fairy tales that love is real that love is gritty and that's the type of love we're going to look at tonight sound good you on board great We've been going through the book of Romans, and uh, tonight I'm going to give us a little bit of history. I'm going to recap what we've heard the last couple weeks. Uh, We'll laugh, we'll cry, maybe we'll learn something, and it'll be all-around good night, I hope. Sound good? (laughs) Church (laughs) Church isn't here, so if I speak for 45 minutes, it doesn't matter. So, you guys are stuck with me. Uh, Before we get going, uh, I'm going to pray for us, and uh, we'll get going with the night. Father God, uh, God, we thank you for your love. Uh, We thank you that you love us, and we thank you that your love uh, is so much more, so much more than we could ever imagine. God, I pray for tonight that you would speak not only through me, but to me, God. I pray that you would rid me of myself. The words that come out of my mouth, God, I pray would be yours. Uh, God, whatever is not from you, but is from me, I pray people would forget and they would remember your words tonight. So God, I just pray your spirit would be upon us and that we will be able to worship with you tonight. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, so there was once this little girl. She's about four years old and uh, it was around Christmas time and she uh, she's four years old. And so about that time is the first time she kind of asked her dad, hey, dad, what is the deal with Christmas? I don't get it. Why do we have this holiday? Why do we give gifts? And her dad's like, oh, I guess it's time we start talking to her about Jesus. And uh, he tells this little girl about Jesus and he shares uh, about the story of Christmas and that Jesus came and had a message of love and peace. Uh, and he shared with her specifically, um, he shared this idea of the golden rule, if you will, to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Uh, and this, 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 um teaching of Jesus really stuck with this girl, this with this four-year-old girl. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And and he shared all the hope that comes in Jesus. Well, during that same Christmas season, as she'd been learning about Jesus, she actually bought a storybook Bible, and like he was like, she was reading it, it's great. Um they were driving down the street one day and they came across a church that had a very realistic crucifix uh, with Jesus hanging on it outside. And the girl sees it and she's like, hey, dad, uh, what's that? What's that thing up there? And uh, in that moment, he realized, oh, I hadn't told this part of the story. Um, and he tells the little girl that... Uh, That Jesus, this teaching that Jesus taught, the do unto others, you would have them do unto you. There was powers at the time that were really scared of this teaching and really scared that because of that teaching, they were going to lose their power. And so they had Jesus killed and and Jesus died. And he explained uh, the act of salvation and Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross. Big topic for another sermon. We'll probably dig into it a little bit more later as well. But he explains that to the little girl. And this little girl, this is her first experience with, real, with knowing who Jesus is. And this father had to try and simplify and tell this incredible, complex story of love uh, to his four-year-old daughter. Well, just as that father was trying to explain to his daughter the story of who Jesus was, that's what Paul is doing in the book of Romans. Um, this this series that we've been going through in Romans chapter 12 is just one part of this letter that Paul wrote to a group of Christians um, about 20 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. Um, Paul, I want to bring you into this story. I want to expand on this story a little bit more and show us the ways that the people that Paul is writing to aren't so different from us today. Um, Paul is writing... Uh, to a group that 15 years after, about 15 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, there's a group of Christians that have been forming in Rome. A group of people that have been starting to follow Jesus. Um, and this is Paul is trying to explain to them. And this group is made up uh, in a culture that that's like this. Um he was trying to. They were very smart. Romans uh, of the time were probably the most intellectually savvy of the group. So try imagining Paul trying to explain this very thick, heavy concept of Jesus that this dad just sum, sum up, summed up for his daughter in a few sentences. Paul writes uh, about ten chapters worth of of backstory into who Jesus is, and and this this culture that he's writing to was very similar to the one we find ourselves in today, in that it was. Um, about half Christians and half Jews. And it was culturally divided. It was socially divided. It was economically divided. It was racially divided. Uh, The Christians of the time were either um, half of them were Jewish and had been ascribed to the Jewish culture their whole lives. They lived in the Jewish customs. They did all these things, but they started to believe in Jesus and follow Jesus. And the other half of the Christians were what the Bible calls Gentiles, which is just a fancy word for saying not Jewish. Um, so, anytime someone says "gentiles," it sounds they sound smarter than they are. They're really just saying not Jewish. <laughs> It's all right. And um, Paul is writing to this climate. He's writing to a climate that's divided, a climate there where nobody's getting along because this group of Christians that are Jewish have all these rules and customs that they've been following for centuries and millennia. And now there's a whole other group of Christians that are Gentiles, not Jewish, that don't have these customs, don't believe the same things that they believe, but they have this one commonality of Jesus Christ. Well, 15 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, Emperor Claudius, I don't know if you guys are history buffs, I'm a history buff, so if if you don't get excited about it, just feed off of my excitement. 15 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, Emperor Claudius um, kicks out all the Jews from the city of Rome, kicks them out, says Jews are no longer allowed here. So there's been this culture that's been established of followers of Jesus, half Jews, half Gentiles. They've been learning to kind of live together throughout their differences, and then in the middle of learning that, the emperor says, oh, half of you are gone. All right. Does that sound a little familiar, some things that happened this weekend? I don't know. I don't know. Um, Kicks him out. Five years later, the Jews are allowed to come back into Rome. And think about this. This is five years of them just living in their own, isolated. This is what following Jesus looks like in our own community with people that look like us, think like us, act like us, have had the exact same culture as us. For five years, they've been molded into thinking this one way, and this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. And then the group that was in Rome, the Gentiles, the people that aren't Jewish, they for five years have been growing and learning about who Jesus was and following him in these ways that are very specific to their culture and that don't have any of the Jewish ties uh, that their brothers and sisters sisters had that were um, kicked out of Rome. And now they're come, they come back together and they don't have anything in common other than the name of Jesus. They don't look the same. They don't act the same. They don't talk the same. They don't eat the same foods. They don't believe a lot of the same things except for the fact that Jesus died, rose again for them. This is the culture that we find Paul writing to in Romans. And Paul is writing to the Romans, trying to explain to them who Jesus is And who, who God is, who Jesus is, and who they are in light of that. And how together they need to come together to fully live in to the, to the kingdom of God that God has created. To the reason, for the reason that Jesus died, Paul says that the reason that Jesus died, rose again on the cross is for a multicultural, multi-ethnic church. One that breaks down the walls of division and preaches a gospel, a truth, a good news of unity. That's what Romans is about. You tracking? This is where we're at. So Paul writes a a letter. He tells who God is, who, who Jesus is, who the Romans are. And then he tells you how you're supposed to live in light of all those truths, in light of those identities. And that's where we find ourselves in chapter 12. Chapter 12 is the beginning of this book where Paul starts to tell us how we're supposed to live our lives. And this is where we find our text. We have, to, up to this point, we've heard that God um, has called us into being living lives of mercy. He called us to be humble. And as Kelly put it, he calls us to live into our gifts that, that he has is, he is, uh, given us, the good and pleasing and perfect gifts. And this is, comes right after what Kelly preached on last week. It says, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Uh, So... Church got to speak on urgently living into uh, our faith. Um, we heard about the mercy that we're supposed to live into. We heard about humility. We heard about gifts. And then I get a bunch, I get a list. I just got a list of things to do. And I was meeting with a speaking team, and we looked at this, and it's like, great, I have a list. What am I supposed to do with that? Um, but honestly, this is one of my favorite pieces of scripture. It's one of, I love it. it because when we look at this list, it's not a to-do list. We can read this list and we can read it and it can be. It can look like, do these things if you want to follow Jesus. Do these things to follow Jesus. But the reality is this is not a list of a to-do list that gets us to any outcome. This is a list of responses. This is an outcome list. This is a list that says if you believe this one thing, this is going to be the outcome of your life. This is going to be the marks. It actually says in my Bible, the title of this section is called The Marks of a True Christian. So it's not saying the things that you do to be a true Christian. It says the marks. This is the markings of a true Christian. You see, anywhere you see any of this, any of this going on, Jesus is there. If I was the one writing the, giving the little, Names of the sections of the Bible. Thank God I'm not. I'm not smart enough. But if I was, I think I would actually title this section, The Marks of a True Christian Community. Because on my own, on our own, we cannot do this all. First of all, it's impossible to do it because if I'm just living on my own uh, and no one ever wrongs me, how am I supposed to bless those who persecute me? I would never be persecuted. So, first off, we see this, and we know that it is not meant to be done alone. It's meant to be done in community. So what does this list of outcomes mean for us? What gives me the right, the one who knows, I know I can't live into this on my own, what gives me the right to be preaching to you about how we need to be living out these outcomes? I, don't, I, I really should have no right to do that because I know for a fact I don't live into all those things. Well, the answer is not what gives me the right. It's who gives me the right. And the same person that gives me the right to preach on it is the same reason I believe that more and more we will be living into these outcomes. It's Jesus. We're a church, so that's usually the answer. Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> See, the list of outcomes here hinges on one very important line. The first line up there, the first sentence, let love be genuine. This list of outcomes is for people who live their lives out of a place of love. A place of love that doesn't take a second thought into doing any of the other things. Where does this love come from? It comes from Jesus. He's the only one who ever fully lived into the embodiment of genuine love. He lived into the perfect and pleasing and good love of God the Father. And that's exactly what the first half of Romans speaks about. Everything that Paul talks about, go read it on your own. It's thick, it's dense, it's heavy. It can be difficult to read, but I'm telling you, it is rich and it is good. And everything that Paul talks about and everything that really the rest of the Bible talks about is talking about how Jesus lives into that good and perfect, genuine love. And as he lives into that love, he embodies everything here. Everything in this list, he lives it out. God had a desire for a multi-ethnic, multicultural kingdom where uh, one that loves people the right way, one that um, doesn't seek its own advantages, one that is full of love, where love conquers hate, where truth overcomes lies, where peace overrules wars, one with Jesus who's seated on the throne, but he doesn't hold that over us. No, instead, he says that we are royalty with him and brings us into this truth. He says, we're sons and daughters of the king. I don't know about you, but this is a kingdom that I want to be about. This is a kingdom that I hope for. When the world is getting me down, when I am struggling, when I just feel like... I can't go on anymore. I think of this kingdom and I think, yes, this is what I want. And you know what? The beauty of it, God says that this kingdom is there, it's true, and it's, it, he's, he's done the work to bring it about. And the reality is I don't just get to be a part of this kingdom. I get to be a part of it coming into existence. That's so much more meaningful than just being a part of it. So how do I do it? How do I become a part of it? How do I step into it? I believe. I believe that it's true. I believe in that genuine love. See, the hard work of the faith isn't doing this list. It isn't doing all these things. It isn't abhorring. That seems really hard. (laughs) It isn't abhorring what's evil. It isn't just holding fast to what's good. It's not just loving one another with brotherly affection. It's not just outdoing one another. That's not... The hard work of the faith. The hard work of the faith is believing. It is hard to believe. A question I love to ask when I read scripture is what is it saying about God's identity? What is it saying about who God is? And I read Romans 12 with our student interns uh, a couple weeks ago, and I asked them, what does uh, Romans 12, the chapter we've been reading through uh, as an as a in-community, what does it say about God's identity? And here's some of the words they came up with. God is a giver. He's inviting. He's countercultural. He's a doer. He's curious, specific. Observant. He's great at receiving gifts and giving gifts. Lots of things, great things about who God is. But there's a couple things that, that stood out to me, and one of them was countercultural. And as I was thinking about that today, actually today, I was thinking about countercultural, how God is countercultural. And something actually hit me. It's not that God is countercultural. It's that God is a creator of culture. He's a culture creator. And he's inclusive. When God created the the earth, the world, he made us in his image. He's such an includer that he made us in his image. And he created a culture that was going to be inclusive. So inclusive, in fact, that he was going to make us creators of culture along with him, which gave us the opportunity to create good culture or bad culture. And we are always creating culture. I promise you that. Even if you're doing nothing, sitting on your couch playing video games, not thinking about anything, you are creating a culture. You're creating a culture of laziness, a culture of doing nothing, a culture where you'll probably get out of shape. I, prob- I know, I've created that culture for myself. Um, we are always creating a culture. And what Romans 12 is calling us into is asking, what kind of culture are we going to create? What kind of culture are we going to be a part of? That's what Romans 12 is asking. How do we create a culture that does all those things that are listed in Romans 12? We begin with believing, doing the hard work of believing that love is genuine. That's difficult work. So, I love to ask the question, what do we what do we see about who God is? So if we know, if we see those things about what the scripture says about who God is, and we see that we know he is good, he is a giver, he's a giver, he's about us, God loves us, all these things. If we know that's who God is, and we know that we need to believe in that truth for that culture to come about, um, where's the disconnect? Why isn't that culture in effect? Why don't I live out that list all the time, even though I do believe it? Why doesn't our community always look that way? I believe that the disconnect between our knowledge of who God is and our belief in who God is and our knowledge in who God says we are and our belief in who God says we are, the disconnect there is rooted in fear, rooted in lies and fear. We hear a lie and we begin to believe it and fear creeps in and it grows. And an unhealthy fear is crippling, disabling and disabling. It produces selfishness, which produces hate and more lies. An unhealthy, unchecked fear is bad. There is a healthy fear. There's a good fear. That's another sermon for another time. But bad fear, unhealthy fear, it cripples us from belief. So how do we conquer? The lies, how do we conquer the fears? We conquer them with truth. My grandma, my dad 's mom, was a wonderful lady. Uh, some of you may know I have a tattoo on my heart and it says i 'll never leave you i 'll never forsake you. be strong, and courageous." and a lot of people see that and they hear that, and they think it's from uh, Joshua or one of the thousands of times it's said in the Bible um, it's not. It's actually from my grandma. Uh, I promise you, every time I talked to my grandma growing up, not just me, every time any one of us grandkids, and there was lots of us, talked to my grandma growing up, She told us this story, and she told us this line that God told her that he will never leave her, he will never forsake her, and to be strong and courageous. When my uh, grandpa, my grandma's husband, was 32 years old, he died. He was an alcoholic. He drank himself to death. My dad was 11 years old. My grandma had six kids, and uh, they were poor, super poor. They are in Belize, and I went to their house about a year ago, and it was... Smaller than this stage where the band is. That's six people live in that house. And um, when my grandpa died, my grandma was angry, angry at God, furious. And she tells us she was on uh, at my grandpa's grave, furious with God, that that he would abandon her, that Joe, my grandpa, would abandon her. And she told us that she heard the audible voice of God tell her in that moment, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Be strong and courageous. That moment, my grandma had an inch of belief that she wasn't gonna be alone and Jesus did the rest. All it took was an inch of belief, just a bit. And my grandma began to create a culture of belief, began to create a culture where fear did not rule the things that she did. Fear did not dictate the way she would live her life. And she raised her six kids to know that and to live into that. And my dad, when he met my mom, he, my dad is black, my mom is white. It was in the 70s on the heels of the civil rights movement. Everyone was telling them not to get married. He had been grown in a culture where fear did not rule and said, you know what? I'm not gonna let the fears and the lies that people are telling me that this will not work, that's not going to win out the day, I'm going to marry this woman that I love. Married her. Fast forward, 1989, my parents are older. My mom's 42, my dad is 49. In the 80s, uh, medicine wasn't what it is today, and everyone was telling my parents that they should get an abortion. Because there's no way that that kid was going to live. There's no way that that kid was going to survive. And if that kid did survive, he was going to have defects, mental and physical defects that would make his life miserable. And you know what? The reality is that kid, even if he does survive, my mom, Lois, she wasn't supposed to survive. She wouldn't make it through the birth of her child. And my parents, they had continued in that culture that was created by my grandmother. My, my mom's parents had created the same culture for her. They had an inch of belief. They knew what Jesus had done for them. They knew the love that they were worthy of. And they said that their child was worthy of the same love and worthy of a chance at life. And they gave birth to me. And miracles of all miracles, I was okay. Decent enough, I guess. And this is the world I find myself in, one where a culture has been established. Not one of fear, but of truth. Not one of lies, but of love. My whole life, so my dad, uh, this man that I talked about, is a pastor and a preacher. And he's a good one, a very good one. And my whole life since I was baby seven, people have been telling me, you're going to be a preacher like your daddy. You're going to be a pastor just like your daddy. You're going to be great. The Holy Spirit is upon you. And I hated it. It It's the last thing I wanted. You know why? Because I knew I couldn't be my dad. They were telling me good things. It wasn't like it would be bad to be my dad, but it's a lie. I can't be my dad. I can't. And that lie that was placed in me, that, that lie that was rooted in truth that people thought was good, the devil twisted and created a fear in me that I would never be adequate enough to be my father. And I carried that fear and that lie and ran from my identity for a long time. God bless my dad. He never told me I needed to be him. He never even told me he wanted me to be him. I don't even know if he did want me to follow in his footsteps. My dad, every decision I made, everything I chose to do, he always told me he was proud of me. He always told me that he loved me. He always told me that he was for me. I have a good earthly father. But you know when this fear and this lie was really broken for me? It was actually when I had uh, decided to be go into ministry and be a pastor. And I was actually an intern here at the inn. And I was doing college ministry. And it was actually after I spoke here at the inn for the first time. And my dad told me, Christopher, I've always been proud of you and I am still proud of you. I want you to know something. My whole life, my dream was to do college ministry. My whole life, my dream was to minister to college students and speak to college students and teach them and preach to them. And I never got to do that. And it fills my heart with joy to see you doing that. I am not called to be my father. And my father was not called to be me. The lie was that I thought I needed to be my father. When I was set free, it was when he told me the truth that I was free to be myself. Guys, truth offsets lies. Love conquers fear. Romans 12 shows us the marks of a Christian community. It shows us what it looks like when we believe. Belief isn't all knowing. We don't always fully know. and We don't always fully believe, and that's okay. Believing just a little bit, giving Jesus just that little inch that my grandma gave is enough for Jesus to go all the way and tell us who we are and work in us and help us and walk with us to create a culture that will change the worlds around us. Why is this so difficult to do on our own? Because we are never made to do it on our own. When I don't believe, I need you to tell me who I am. I need you to tell me my worth in Jesus Christ. I need you to tell me that I am loved. And when you don't believe it, I better do it for you. You see, fear will not win because Jesus won't let it. Fear causes us to be focused inward and forget about the well-being of others. And I really believe that there have been some big decisions made for our country recently, recently that have been made out of fear. Decisions that have been all, uh, alienating and hurtful. But this isn't the first time that's happened in our country. Slavery, that was a fearful decision the Cold War, persecution of homosexuals. Decisions every day are made out of fear. But what trumps fear? Love, pun intended. <laughs> Genuine love conquers fear. There's a quote by Ed Setzer. Stetzer. He is uh, the head of, of uh, a theological department and a school in the Midwest. And he said this in in response to some of the bans that have come into place this weekend. Fear is a real emotion, and it can cause us to make decisions we wouldn't have made otherwise. Fear leads us to fix our eyes inward instead of on the other. At the core of who we are as followers of Christ is a commitment to care for the vulnerable, the marginalized, the abused, and the wanderer. That's Ed Setzer's response to fear. It's Jesus. And in Jesus, we care for the other. Some of you might know Cal Penn. I don't know if you've seen uh, Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. He's one of the actors in that. It's been on How I Met Your Mother, other things like that. Um, This weekend, he got a hateful, he's actually uh, from India. He's from Indian descent. And he got a hateful Instagram comment this weekend. Someone told him to go back to his country. That he wasn't welcome here in this country after the, the the bans had been issued. And his response to the hateful Instagram post he got was to actually go start a GoFundMe for people that, uh, for refugees. And he raised a ton of money. And it's incredible. for refugees his response this is his quote that he said when they go low we go high there's power in love that was cal's response i don't know if he knows jesus i don't know at all but i do know that he believes in a genuine love and jesus is found there and that response is full of jesus that story i told you that i started out with a little girl um who, who her dad told her about Jesus. It actually continues on. About a month after Christmas, uh, this little girl is um, they're sitting in, sitting, uh, she has a day off of school. It's Martin Luther King Day. And her dad takes uh, the day off to hang out with her. Sounds like a good father. Appreciate that. We don't all have good fathers. And we got a good heavenly father. If you don't have a good earthly father, I'm sorry about that. But th- this dad takes the day off uh, of work to hang out with his daughter. And, um, they're sitting there and there's a, a piece of a newspaper on the table. And this daughter sees the newspaper and on the newspaper, uh, is a great big picture of Martin Luther King Jr. And her, his daughter asked, uh, her dad, it's a very inquisitive daughter, she asked her dad, who's that, daddy? And he says, uh, that's Martin Luther King Jr. And she says, who is that? He says, he's a preacher. She says, a preacher for Jesus? And he says, yeah, a preacher for Jesus. And she says, what did, what did he teach about? And the dad goes on to explain that Martin Luther King Jr. taught uh, that we should treat others, people that look differently, the same as we treat ourselves. That we should love people who look differently than us the same way we treat people that, and love people that look like us. He's trying to explain heavy concepts to a four-year-old. And, and right then, his daughter makes the connection. She says, that sounds a lot like Jesus is teaching. And the dad had never even really realized that. He knew Martin Luther King was a preacher. He's like, yeah, you're right. That is a lot like Jesus' teaching. And bless this little girl's heart. In that moment, she asked her dad, dad, did they kill him too? And they did. But that's an example of this love that we're talking about. It's a gritty love. This love is difficult. This love is ones where you have to get your hands dirty. It's not a love where you sit on the sidelines. I I remember reading something that said, uh, you know, when you used to watch those movies about people that were activists in the 60s and people that were going to war and stuff uh back during World War II and people that were protesting throughout the 70s, things like that, and you ask yourself, Well, what would you, what would I would have done? And you would say, like, Oh, I would have done this. I would have acted this way or that way. The reality is we find ourselves in a situation like that. And so whatever you're doing right now is what you would have done then. This is a gritty love, a dirty love. This love is difficult. And finally, this love is unconditional. See, when Jesus died on the cross, He didn't just die on the cross for our salvation, that we'd be saved. That was an outcome. The outcome of Jesus dying on the cross was that we would be saved. The reason that Jesus died on the cross is because he loved us. It's because he said each person who's ever lived is worthy of dying for. Jesus loved us without condition did not matter our response. See, when we're living out, living a genuine love, living into believing that genuine love, and we live out all those responses and we do all the things that are in Romans 12, we don't do them just to save somebody or convert them to, to Christianity or whatever. We do them because we love them. And they're worthy of knowing that they're loved. That's it. All that other stuff is a beautiful outcome. I do not doubt, I do not deny the goodness of the other things there, but those are outcomes. We can't save anybody's soul. Only Jesus can do that. But we can love people and show them what it means to be loved by Jesus. In Christ, we've experienced a love that casts out fear, that frees us to live humbly, to give good gifts, and to live and we can literally hear me now. In this love, we can literally love the hell out of the world around us. That's a world I want to live in. That's a truth I want to get behind. That's a love I want to share. And I hope if you heard nothing else tonight, if you heard nothing else tonight, you hear this. You're worthy of being loved. And you're worthy to love others. That's who we are. In light of who God is, let's pray. Father God, I thank you that we we are loved. God, um, God, I again pray that whatever was not from me would or would be remembered, and whatever is from me would be forgotten. And God, I simply pray these words that we find in your Scripture. God, we believe. Help us with our unbelief. Praise in your name, Jesus. Amen.